And then that, that first Easter, you know, it was hard, but I think it was, I think it's because we still felt like we were in the tomb. And I think that's why the Easter was, was, was hard. So I'm not so sure that first Easter was, was as uh, jubilant as, as it was certainly this year. Welcome to the Faith Without Fear podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Redlands, California. This podcast is hosted by Senior Pastor Sean Zambros and Associate Pastor Nick Quint. In this episode, they are joined by Reverend Jill Kirshner-Rose, Reverend Cheryl Rain, Father Paul Price, and Pastor Craig Hadley to talk about Lent, hope, Easter, and faith in the time of COVID. It isn't often you get a bunch of pastors, ministers, reverends, friars, and friends in the same place to talk about Easter time and Lent and theology without, you know, it turning into a fight. But I'm blessed, and Sean and I are blessed to have friends from across Redlands right now, ministers in the gospel of Jesus, to talk about, oh, all sorts of fun things, very light topics and concerning COVID, hope, faith, Lent, Easter, you know, very easy, simple topics that we'll be out of here quick, y'all. But uh, if you are, uh, Pastor Cheryl, we'll start with you. So if you could just tell our audience, you know, who you are, where you minister, obviously you're Pastor Cheryl, where your church is and how long you've been doing it and just kind of, you know, just introduce yourselves for, uh, to our audience. You're, you've been on the show before, if I'm, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pastor Cheryl, I serve the First Presbyterian Church of Redlands, and I just passed uh, my four-year anniversary there. And prior to Redlands, I served a church for 14 and a half years in the city of Garden Grove. And prior to that, I was a chemical engineer and served in industry for about um, for a number of years prior to that. So that's where I'm at in the community. And the church that I serve is a multi-ethnic community, which is... Uh, Anglo, Pakistani, Indonesian, and African immigrants. I'm Father Paul. I'm the priest at uh, Trinity Episcopal Church in Redlands, and I've been there since uh, 2013. Is that right? I think that uh, anyway, no, well, yeah, something like that. It's been, it, it's been eight years. Uh, before that, I was uh, over at, in, uh, Apple Valley in uh, at St. Tim's, uh, St. George's before that, St. John's before that. I've only been doing this for about uh, 15, 16 years now. And before that, I've, uh, I was a, a programmer. So I, I worked as a software engineer for a small healthcare facility, uh, Kaiser Permanente. Yeah, so that's who I am. My name is Jill Kirshner Rose. I am the pastor at Redlands United Church of Christ. I have been here for five and a half years. I served a church down in San Diego for 18 and a half years. And I am now serving uh, the church that I grew up in. I was born and raised in Redlands, grew up at Redlands United Church of Christ, and have come full circle. And I am glad to be here today. And my name is uh, Pastor Craig Hadley. I'm at Paradox Church, which meets on Cajon Street. And uh, we started our church about five years ago. And um, I've been a pastor in Redlands since 2010. Um, but I've been at Paradox for the five years of its church's history. Um, and it's great to be here with everybody. 
group to be together. So it's, it's, it's been a year. Can, can we say that it's, it's been, um, it's been a year. Uh, I, we talked about this on the last episode and Sean and I talk about it often and it seems to be a topic uh, that comes up. My son was born the day of the California lockdown in 2020. Had he been born a few hours later, I wouldn't have been able to be in the, what is it? The delivery room with my wife. I would have been outside. Uh, and so looking back at that time, that week of March, that, you know, maybe the month of March, you know, with, with all that's, all that's been going on. Um, do you recall kind of where you were during that time? And just kind of, we might say the change the church was forced to undergo very quickly and very suddenly at that time, uh, and kind of your spiritual existential kind of state with having to deal with that. Cause I, I've I've talked with it's every every minister I'm a friend with I've asked that question like how how has it been starting at that point you know and because it almost feels like it's a trauma thing for many of us I imagine Uh, so uh, Jill you're to the this part of my screen so I'm very curious you know with our UCC brothers and sisters and friends uh, just kind of reflecting on that time you know where did you kind of find yourself and and of course that's close to the time of Lent and Easter and it's to borrow Craig's phrase, it's, it's a little paradoxical, it seems, but maybe not so much. But what what were your kind of thoughts as you reflect on on this time? Back yeah, then? that was it was a very emotional time. I remember the first Sunday of March, March 1st, we had Communion Sunday. And afterwards, one of the women in the congregation approached me and she said, with the coronavirus, why in the world do we have communion today? And I thought that was a bit extreme. And I thought, well, of course we're gonna do communion just because there's coronavirus in the world. It hasn't come to San Bernardino County yet, (laughs) hasn't affected our church yet. And then on March 7th, which was a Saturday night, uh, a friend of mine who's in the healthcare field sent me a text and said, make sure that you and your congregation do not hug each other tomorrow with, with COVID. And I thought, said, no, that is extreme. We love to hug. We're going too far. And she says, no, it's really important. You don't hug, you don't shake hands. And I thought, no, you're, you're taking this too far, but she's in the health field. So I did give a little credibility and thought about it through the night. And so the next morning I stood up and I said, you know, there's this thing called the coronavirus. And, and so just, you know, do some elbow bumps with one another. We're not going to hug. We're not going to shake hands. Maybe do the I love you sign or, you know, do the namaste bow. And I thought that was extreme. And then it was that week. And that was our actually our last in-person service was March 8th, 2020. And as I watched the week unfold, the board decided to meet on March 13th, which was a Friday, Friday the 13th. And the decision was unanimous. Okay, we need to stop in-person services for two weeks. And I just thought it was going to be two weeks, quite honestly. I thought two weeks, everyone will do what they're supposed to do, stay indoors, the the virus will leave. and, And even that seemed extreme to me. That seemed extreme to close the church building for two weeks. But I thought, okay, that's all, you know, in two weeks, this will be done and over with. 
And then Holy Week came around. And of course, we were still closed. And that was probably one of the most emotional Holy Weeks for me, because I was so used to this church booming during Holy Week. We do a big Seder meal and there are people in the kitchen generally cooking and you've got the choir doing the rehearsals and the trumpets and the Easter lilies coming in. And I was the only one in the church building. And I just wept and wept and wept all week long. I thought this, you know, this is just really so grim. And, um, and then it, it, then it kind of hit me as I looked into the sanctuary, the empty sanctuary that was so empty and so stark, that, that perhaps the empty sanctuary was the most tangible form of showing the empty tomb, um, mm. that really it was a, an act of love and, and global solidarity that we were saying, no, we're not going to gather together on Easter. So, but that was a very, very emotional week for me. And, um, and I've often referred to this last year is, is uh, not just um, going through Holy Week, but we've been through a holy year of death and tombs and grief. So, yeah. Well, that was a very pastoral outlook on the whole thing. I'm impressed. I want to say amen to that. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing that, Jill. Uh, yeah, I have a very similar experience where, um, I remember we had uh, our church meets on Saturday. So our, our last church service was March 7. And then I was at sermon study group, which I meet with every week on Wednesdays. And during that sermon study group, everything blew up where I came out of it. Uh, my phone had all these text messages. The NBA had suspended their games. And that's when I knew this was serious because they never missed a chance to make money. Um, <laughs> and then also Tom Hanks that same night got it, in the same sermon study group. It was revealed he had coronavirus. So we felt like we had to really scale back. Uh, the next day we suspended in-person services and we thought, okay, we're gonna broadcast from the live, uh, from the sanctuary for the, for the next, we thought two months at the time. And so we did that with, with a skeleton crew of 10 people. Um, and then we realized that was too dangerous. And so we were broadcasting from my living room for the next three months. <laughs> and uh, I think that, when I look at this year, it's it's really remarkable just how much we had to f make a plan, execute it, think this is it, we've arrived. And then the next week, numbers would come through and science would come through that said you can't do that anymore. And it was really, really tiring for, for clergy, uh, for me personally, and then just hearing other people's experiences where it's like, we got it. Okay, this is what we're going to do now for the next little bit. And then find out two days later, you can't do that anymore. The, the, the good part of it has been, um, we love to tell people that the church is more than a building. Um, <laughs> we really do. Uh, we found that out in the past year, that's for sure. It was really interesting how much this was an identity gut check on what we actually were. And, you know, I, I, we're all pro gathering again and think that, that it's a good thing that we meet, that we meet in person. But we, I think that all, every pastor I've spoken to, particularly the pastors in this room, uh, I've all kind of found a renewed or a redefinition of what it means to be a congregation of Christ, um, because I've never in I, my, my short career, I've never really had this kind of reset button on the whole church thing. And I don't think anybody's used to experiencing that. So it's changed quite drastically for me. Um, you know, for me, I think the most important thing that's come out of this is that uh, in-person relationships really matter and how a church facilitates that and helps to grow those relationships of love 
is ultimately whether or not we're doing the work of the gospel. Yeah. I, th- I think in a way that we've all gotten to know each other better mm-hmm. because of this. Um, and Craig, you know, really, maybe we met before COVID. I'm not sure. Did we even meet before COVID? But we certainly I got joined the group right after COVID started. I met with Jill yeah. and JT um, okay. at a coffee shop right before COVID started. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, I don't even know what you look like from the shoulders now, you know, but, but uh, I think that, but we've gotten to know each other better. I think all of us have uh, even those of us who knew each other better. And the fact that I think my very first zoom meeting was with you and where we were going, okay, what are we all doing? And uh, this year I found strength and encouragement and uh, support and all of that from all of you, from our, from our group that, that meets together once a month. Uh, you, you've always been vital, but you became even more vital. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of March of last year, I was at a contemplative retreat and it literally as every day unfolded, we were adjusting and doing things differently and we were hearing information. Um, and when I, so, so the whole experience wasn't what it normally is, even though we were together still, but they were making all sorts of changes in the way that we could be together with each other. So I came home from that and, and church at that point uh, was still pretty much, nobody was making waves other than the fact we had stopped the whole handshaking and we had stopped that before we were just doing fist bump, I mean, elbow bumping. And we met all the way until March 15th. Our last Sunday was March 15th. Mm-hmm. We only had about 50% of the people who came. And, and we all consider it a, a miracle because our choir actually sang that day. Um, so we all held our breath uh, for a couple of weeks after that. And, and we, that night, Sunday evening, the session had an emergency meeting and, and we closed uh, the church building, just flat out closed the church building. What was really providential for us is that we had already been experimenting with Facebook Live. Hmm. And so uh, my husband and I and our choral director all own iPhones. And so literally that next Sunday on March 22nd, we put a whole bunch of tripods up and three iPhones. And in a week's time, my husband learned how to um, use a switcher program so that we could go between the different things. And we broadcast online on the 22nd. And, and it was amazing for how quickly the church really did pivot. Um, I think the church made a, a was 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 easy to, to make the pivot um, because it was it was just so certain for people. Um, for me personally, what when I felt like okay, I had no idea how long this was going to last. I don't think I ever thought it was just a couple of weeks, but I certainly didn't think it was going to be more than a year. Um, uh, but I remember the thing that unsettled me the most was how do I connect everybody. How do I connect everybody? So I spent that first week, um, literally, uh, my my leadership, and they all didn't really have a choice. 
I said, this is the way we're going to do it because this is what's going to have to happen. And I hope I have your support, which, which I did, but we literally divided up and made small groups out of the whole congregation in, in about seven days. I think I had, everybody had lists and made calls and, and that was instrumental. And I agree with you, Sean, I think that members of my own congregation know each other better and deeper through this experience than they ever would have. Yeah. The one, the one disappointment for me was I had a really awesome Lenten series planned for in-person <laughs> worship. Yeah. And I just scrapped it. I mean, completely scrapped it because it didn't make any any sense. You had um, props and everything, right? I did. I did. I was going to make this, it was all let justice roll down. And I had strips of cloth that we were using for prayers and tying together and making the, the stream of justice longer and longer and longer each week. And yeah. So, but, but I really felt, you know, the spirit just saying, no, we have to, we have to change what we're doing. And then that, that first Easter you know, it was hard, but I think it was, I think it's because we still felt like we were in the tomb. And yeah. I think that's why the Easter was, was, was hard. So I'm not so sure that first Easter was, was as uh, jubilant as, uh, as it was certainly this year, but we're going to talk about that. In a bit. Yeah. For us in the Episcopal church, you know, we're, we're a liturgical church. So everything revolves around either the liturgical calendar, uh, Lent, Easter, you know, Pentecost, da, 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 or around the service itself, which is pretty much prescribed about uh, as to what we do and how we do things. And the last service that we got to do together was on the 15th of March. And it was fortuitous. That was the day that we decided, because we were hearing about the COVID and about the possibility of closing, possibility, yeah, we knew that we were going to have to. We tried our first live stream service. So one of our guys got out his iPhone, hooked it up to Facebook Live, and we did the service that day. And it, it was like, wow, this is so encapsulating and closing. It's so small. It's, and it, was, it didn't really provide the, the, the depth that, that we were looking forward to be able to, to worship in the way that us Episcopalians like to worship. And for the congregation itself, the, the things that, that they were holding their breaths about were, we're not going to be able to sing. We can't sing. Why can't we sing? We're not going to be able to drink wine from the chalice. We're not going to be able to take communion. It, the, the whole thing. And for us, again, you know, we do communion every Sunday and it's been a really, really long dry spell, pun intended. Yeah. For us not to be able to, to drink from the chalice. We have been doing communion of one kind, you know, since, but the things that we, we cherished being together in community, the hugs. Yes. Oh my gosh. Coffee hour, no donuts. What's up with that? Um, <laughs> but uh, it, in the worship service for us, it was really all about the not being able to sing mm -hmm. and taking the service home 
learning how to do live stream, how to do go straight to YouTube. Uh, my wife and I sitting in the house together, uh, she would read a part of the service and I would read a part of the service and, you know, doing the, the worship service, um, not celebrating the Eucharist every Sunday was, was really difficult, um, especially for a liturgical church that really thrives on the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was really hard. I think when I talk to people who are outside of the clergy profession, that what they don't understand about ministers is that uh, what we love pretty much more than anything else is getting people together in a crowded room and singing together. And considering that's the worst thing possible to spread the coronavirus, it's been a little hard on us because that's one of the most rewarding things that we have. Um, and on all the different expressions of faith, that's been something that's really been sorely missed from our communities. And it's just, it's really tragic. I mean, even talking about coming back now, um, you know, we're, we're having to tell our congregations not to sing together, which is the opposite inclination of everything we've ever been trained to do. So that's been a little bit hard, not a little bit, it's been a lot hard uh, over the past year and especially looking forward as we talk about what's daunting. Yeah. And it's, it's, and often it feels like, and, and uh, Reverend Kim pointed this out and I thought it was really profound. It's it almost, and I mentioned, it doesn't feel like that time was sacred. And what I mean by that is not that it wasn't sacred, but it didn't, there's so much to be felt and kind of drawn from that experience, that, you know, that year of time that just feels like it's lost in many ways. And Kim pointed out that, no, it's God was present in that time as well. And, and I'm wondering now that we've kind of had some time to reflect upon this together and to think a bit about it more, uh, now that we've gone through Lent and Easter at this time, and we've had, you know, there's a little bit of time in between at least the services and stuff like that. What are some things that kind of stick out to you that maybe build upon the experience of the past year that clarify or just, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you sitting on the, on the, uh, on, on the, the grass with pastor Sean and, you know, social distance mass, you know, and having my one-year-old son crawl on the grass of the church as they're doing music and Sean's preaching. I'm sitting there going like, I'm not going to cry. But if I was going to cry, I'd be crying right now. And just that being togetherness that, you know, it's not, you're, you're always doing church, but just being together, there's a sacredness to that. It feels like in many ways, it's not that it wasn't there, but it wasn't felt in the certain way that we're used to. So I'm wondering if maybe um, we'll go back to Paul, because I imagine the liturgy and all that, it probably has a different feel, at least for me, you know, and Pastor Sean and I, to some extent, maybe in the liturgical tradition, um, but what's something that, so what are, what are your thoughts on kind of the now and the then? Well, Holy Week 2020, uh, for us, Holy Week is an eight-day week, and it is for, for all of you too. We start with Palm Sunday and, and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and, and people are not together. Uh, there's no waving of the palms, no shouting hosannas, uh, none of the the... Uh, arms raised and singing and shouting, uh, those kinds of things. Last, the uh, 2020, we did Palm Sunday for my house. Quiet. Maybe the occasional cat. That's it, you know? And then this year, for the first time, and, and we, we actually did a couple of garden services, mass on the grass, so to speak, in, on our lawn, we had people together and we had an opportunity to have palms out. 
but there was no hosannas because you can't shout out. You could raise the palms when I would say, you know, uh, let us go forth in peace in the name of Christ our Lord, amen. But there was no shouting. It was sort of a secret. Don't tell anybody, you know, let's not get too excited about all this. But there was this anticipation, this thought, maybe this year, Easter will get together and we'll be inside the church. But of course, we knew that that wasn't going to happen. Everybody was purple and we had to stay outside or um, do just the, the live stream. But moving forward through the, the week, for us, every day of the week, we would have Eucharist with the exception of Good Friday. It would have been consecrated the day, the, the day before and Holy Saturday, nothing on Holy Saturday until we get to the Easter Vigil. But we didn't have those services. Last year, we didn't have Tenebrae, which is a monastic service that talks about the tritium. Uh, this year we did, and we we live streamed it from within the church. And you know, this this fee, this monastic feel with the voices that were there being able to read out the, the different Psalms, uh, the canticles and, and the readings from uh, Jeremiah and, and, and whatnot. And then Monday, Thursday, such a big disappointment. Last year, we didn't do a Monday, Thursday service because it was just my wife and, and myself, but not to be able to wash the feet of another, mm. not to be able to hear those words of Jesus telling us that we are servant to one another and to express that in such an intimate way, you know, washing somebody else's feet, allowing yourself to have your feet washed, scary things for some people. So we got to Monday, Thursday this year. And, and as I said, it was sort of a little bit of a disappointment, but this year, because we couldn't do it last year, stripping the altar, taking away all the, the trappings in the sanctuary and reminding us that church wasn't yet had not yet begun because Jesus had not died for us, had not raised from the dead yet, that we were in this never, never land, this, this place, you know, which is where we've been for the last year anyway. But it, this, this stark reminder and, and the, the actual physical doing of the stripping of the altar was incredible because of the reminder that it was going to, you know, that it hinted at, um, and then spending, and, and, I, and I, I say this, spending Good Friday with all of you was amazing. It was like we were all together in our upper room, and we were talking about what it meant for us to hear Christ from the cross. And, and just being present even though I couldn't touch any of you, our spirits were touched, every one of us. That was Good Friday. That was way more than we could experience, that, that I could have experienced over the whole last year, having Good Friday with all of you. That was just amazing. And then we came out of our shells. And for us, uh, us Episcopalians, 
we have this thing called the Great Vigil of Easter, where we read from salvation history, remind ourselves again what God did for us in the Old Testament so that we can make ready for Jesus and for his resurrection. And we light the candle and we light the new light again. You know, every year we light a, a brand new candle to remind us that Christ is risen, that the light still continues. That was amazing. And then, and then you know, Easter Day, three bapt or two baptisms, and, and all the people out on the grass. And we weren't in the church yet, but we were back together again. It was a, a really a resurrection Sunday. Mm. It really was. It was just marvelous. So liturgically, we, I'm, yeah, this year more real than years in the past for me. I think for me, the, the, the thing that really stuck out between last year and this year was, was last year was just so, um, so devastating in the fact that it was like so far from what we knew. And not only that, but I think that what we forget about a year out from Easter 2020 is how little we knew about the virus. I mean, I, I remember I was terrified to touch my steering wheel about last year around uh, 2020 because I we didn't know if it would transfer on surfaces and wiping down my steering wheel in my car after going to get groceries and wiping down groceries. Um, you know, some people did more, some people did less, but um, it, it was the most dreadful Easter Sunday that I remember in my lifetime. Um, our church has a tradition of we go up to Blue Mountain in Colton and and uh, share do an Easter service up there as we welcome the sunrise um, for the symbolic nature of, you know, darkness into light. And um, in 2020, there was only three of us that were there uh, and we'd live streamed it. Uh, this year, we had our first gathering on Easter Sunday at sunrise um, since March 7 of last year. And it was, as Paul said, it felt like a resurrection moment um, from the community. And you know, what's hard is it felt like a, it didn't feel like a 100% resurrection. And I think that's how we're all feeling right now, because um, I mean, we still had a distance. Everyone was wearing masks. Um, for me, because he lives is the Easter jam of my lifetime. Like that's, I love singing that song on Easter morning. Um, and just hearing the words because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Um, and we had to ask people not to sing. And, you know, so it was still like a little bit of that, but it was definitely headed in the right direction. Um, on top of all of that, everyone has social anxiety and they have that because we haven't spent time in groups like this in a long time. And, um, it's really interesting how many texts I get afterwards where people said, I'm sorry if I was distracted or I wasn't listening fully. Um, I think that all the, the people right now are feeling very insecure in social settings, um, especially ones that were so easy before. Um, and I just want to say that if anybody's feeling that, um, whether it's in church or in an office or anything else as we start to reintegrate and re get back to what it was, it's okay. I mean, this is, you're not alone in feeling that because we've experienced that pretty heavily in the, in, in church settings. Um, and as these things slowly get back, it definitely feels like a, a giant step of hope, but um, at the same time, I don't think anybody felt like we were fully there yet. So it's been an interesting, interesting journey over the past year. That's for sure. Yeah. The church I serve, one of the things that was incredibly life-giving during the midst of COVID for us is we brought a third of an acre on our property from a really yucky piece of land to an incredibly beautiful park. 
and and the park is dedicated and opened um, to the whole community. So it's it's not you know we didn't make it private. And that park, um, so Easter morning was the first time the whole church gathered and together in that park. And it was incredible. I mean, it was probably the first time that more than a handful of people from the church, we, we had been at the, been at the park once we had opened it, we had before it got bad again in the December, January timeframe, we were holding some very, very small gatherings in the park. Um, but to be able to worship together and we didn't do singing, everybody was masked, everybody was social distance. And we just had our one uh, cantor who sang for us all. So, so there, it, it was, it, I mean, it was a great resurrection, but I still think it was restrained. There was, there was a sense of restraint. It's like, it wasn't full. And, and that's, I think, because we all still feel like we're still, we're still not there. And, and, and even, when I think of the difference between last year and this year too, one of the things is we were clear last year that we absolutely had to be shut down. And, and we're now in a season where there's, there's just this um, differences of opinion about how open and how free we can be, which, which makes for uh, interesting church life. Uh, as you try to remind everybody that we're doing what we're doing out of love for neighbor and you may be vaccinated, but that person may not be, or that person may never be able to be vaccinated for various health reasons. And so how do we, how do we come together as a whole community and, and remember that? Um, I, I think that I kind of get in some sense that, that because we've all been isolated for so long, that, I agree with you, Craig, that the whole idea of coming together and, and we, we've got that concern for our love of neighbor, but it's kind of like there are people that are just hungry to meet their need and, and over and above the community need. And so I just think there's just, there's a lot of tension in this resurrection. And, you know, as we think back to that first and, and probably still fear uh, and if we think back to that first, uh, the first account stories of the resurrection, there was, there was a lot of confusion and a lot of fear and a lot of not knowing what was next. And well, I think we're all living that still. Yeah. Yeah. So. That became really real this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That aspect of uh, resurrection, the fear mm-hmm. and the unknown. Yeah. 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 And it was, I thought it was perfect that this year's gospel was Mark. Yep. <laughs> we are in the year of Mark. That's the right. Women left afraid and didn't say anything. And then, yeah, it's like, wait, yeah. it's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was, a fun, actually, actually, I really enjoyed it. I ended up doing mm-hmm. two different messages on Easter morning, but I really enjoyed it because, um, because of the fear, you know, we can look at fear in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways to look at fear is when you're trying something brand new. Yeah. What do you have? you have fear. And so, you know, that's how I approach the idea of their fear is that, you know, have you ever really done anything that's been really terrific and great? Uh, you know, whether it's something crazy like bungee jumping or, 
you know, mount a climbing a mountain for the first time or something. There's always this real sense of fear, but which creates something new, change a new job, have a new baby, right? It's just all of that fear is part of that, but it could be birthing something new. So that's my hope. So we gathered to Redlands United Church of Christ on Easter Sunday for the first time um, in over a year, had an outdoor service in our garden, which is perfect um, because that's where Mary went was to the garden. But, you know, I stood up and I looked out at this group of people that I love so much And the tears just started flowing. I couldn't even at first even get a word out. I just, and then, you know, you started seeing other people start wiping away their tears. And it was one of those moments where, you know, I think the first words out of my mouth were, this is a holy moment. This, this is a, a sacred hour. Just Let's just take a moment and listen to the birds and look at one another and let's just take this in. And the last time I had preached to people and not to a camera had been 391 days ago. I said, this is the first time I've preached to, to people in 391 days. And so, so last Lent, there were tears last Holy Week, Holy Week 2020, they were tears of despair and sadness. And these were just total tears of joy and unity. And it was, um, to me, it was probably the most meaningful Easter I have ever, ever experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, No, the music wasn't what it usually is on Easter. We didn't have our hallelujah chorus and the trumpets. But there was a spirit there. And even in just that, that moment of of quiet and really being aware of what was taking place in that moment and how uh, tremendous this was, was just incredible. And then my my sermon title that day was Tomb or Womb, and um, that the darkness we are experiencing is not the darkness of the tomb, but it is the darkness of the womb that this is an opportunity for new life and new hope and new possibility. So yeah, it was very special Easter for, for us. Definitely. Where do you see the church going and rediscovering that those sacred moments and not just letting them be confined to that one time at that one year, you know? So where do we go from here as the church of Jesus Christ or what is your hope or your vision for that? I'll tell you something that that was amazing through the year was that we created new communities Uh, for us, again, the liturgical church uh, doing the daily office, which is a monastic office. uh, We were, we have, and and I don't know how we're going to not continue to do this, but for six days, Monday through Saturday, we did, we have been doing morning prayer and evening prayer, reading the daily lectionary, uh, discussing uh, the readings, um, having fellowship on, on Zoom. And we've gathered people from uh, the East Coast, Cape Cod, all the way up to Juneau, Alaska, and Hawaii. And this is a, a new group, a new community that's, that's come out of all this. 
I know that uh, looking at the followers of our YouTube channel, that some of them, we have more people who are not just Redlanders who have been joining us on Sundays. We've got to continue to do this. We have to continue to uh, keep the communities that we have built in this electronic age alive and together so that they can be added to by the non-electronic age folk who, who couldn't make it on Sundays, but will be able to make it in person uh, to the church. So I think that this is something new that we have to learn to do in, uh, in this day and age. Um, one of my frustrations was that a lot of the information I wanted to send out or did send out was through the website, through email, and I would get complaints from people, but I don't do email or, or don't check the web. But do you check Facebook? Well, yeah, of course. Uh, okay. So then you can do the web. You can do right. email. Right. It was interesting finding out all the people who really could do email. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing, actually. <laughs> well, my, my certainly hope for the church is that one, we've learned that we're more resilient than we thought we were. And we also uh, have that we that we learn that change is is okay, that we can actually do it, that that change is is not an evil word um, <laughs> in churches. And and also, you know, I, I certainly um, agree with Paul is because of my multi-ethnic congregation. I mean, we have people from Africa, Indonesia, Pakistan, uh, people in England, people I'm literally from around the globe that have been worshiping with us. And so, um, you know, how do we cultivate this, this new way of being church um, and, and realizing that we need to help grow disciples in just a multitude of ways. And, and, and being in person is one of the ways, but not the only way. And we've learned that. Um, so my, my certainly hope for the church is that, is that we continue to be able to, to live in, in, the, in a space that always brings us to a new edge. Mm. And, and, and hopefully that it doesn't take a crisis to, to help us get there. Um, because, you know, God, I always said that, that phrase about uh, Jesus came to, uh, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And, and we have all been afflicted. Our comfort has been afflicted and, and churches can become too comfortable. And then, and then churches turn inward. And so I think this is really an opportunity for us to learn how to continually look out beyond ourselves, because that's the gospel. The gospel is, is not just about me, but it's about us. And it's about how we, and not only just us humans, but us as all of creation. So there's just so many opportunities for us to look at ways to be the church in a new way. And so that's certainly my hope for the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that, Cheryl. I think we've been the church in the diaspora, right? Um, mm -hmm. We've been scattered about and, but the church in the diaspora doesn't mean that it's the church that has disappeared. Um, it means that we're learning to connect in new ways digitally and how blessed are we that the last time there was a pandemic, you know, there was no yeah. Zoom and live streaming and 
Right. Even 10 years ago, this would have looked so different. Yeah. And so if there was going to be a pandemic, um, I'm glad that it waited until 2020. to. Yeah. to That's yeah. right. But certainly we've got people all over the country as well. That, and we're mm-hmm. connecting in rich and beautiful and many wonderful ways. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, so, Paul. Just the last thought, you know, Phyllis Tickle uh, talks about how the church does a garage sale every 500 years, right? (laughs) And he was talking about how we are, the age of the internet and the web uh, was our garage sale moment, like 500 years ago was the the press, the printing press. And we really never realized it until now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Sorry, Craig. No problem. Uh, I just, I was just going to say that um, if there was a way that we could go back and do this podcast a year ago, um, I wonder what we would have thought our churches would have looked like a year from now, right now, um, or or anything. I would have probably been doom and gloom. Like we're never going to survive this. Um, (laughs) People are going to feel abandoned, all of this other stuff. Um, But, you know, I, I think that this is what's, what's so exciting about the future, even though it is daunting right now, is the fact that we went through one of the worst kind of things that churches could experience as far as, um, you know, how to keep a community together. And even in this too, we found that there's still a way to communicate the gospel, that people still find value in it, even when there's all kinds of barriers. And it ultimately is a testament that God still is where God should not be. And that's what I love about this year. Um, I don't, I don't want to do this year again, <laughs> but at the same time, um, I, I would hope when you ask what the future of the church is, I would hope that it's definitely not the same as it was in 2019. I would right. hope that it's something that is more loving, more accepting, more kind, and more um, connected than yeah. anything we experienced before this. Because if we allow the the the, the legacy of 2020 to be well, that was an interruption to what we were doing before. Um, I think that it, it'll be a tragedy. But if it's a, we learned to to be more loving, and we learned to see that God is everywhere, even in, even when we are all separated, um, then that's something that's very exciting to me about where the future of the church is going. So I would say that's the thing to do is to say. What is it that's changed our perceptions about church and what can we grab hold of going forward um, while also staying rooted in our traditions that makes this valuable? Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Faith Without Fear podcast, a minister of the First Baptist Church of Redlands, California. Our music was composed and written by Garrett Ambrose. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to browse our website at www.fbcredlands.org where you'll find our sermon series and links to our YouTube channel.